Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. We've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to DiscerningHearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. DiscerningHearts.com presents Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Dr. Turek is a professor of theology and chair of Domatic Theology at St. Patrick's Seminary and University. She received her doctorate in sacred theology at the University of Freiburg in Switzerland. Her other publications include Towards a Theology of God the Father, Atonement, Soundings in Biblical Trinitarian and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Here is your host, Evan Collins. Sometimes as Christians, we want to we think we're the exception. We're not going to be viewed as a sign of contradiction as well, but we will be if we are really following this pattern of Christ. And I want to, um, St. Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and handed himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to God. That's the St. Paul's, that's Ephesians chapter five, verse one. And you kind of point out in your Christ's atoning sacrifice for the sake of the world, it summons forth and gives us the ability to respond to love in our lives. So the Christian call to love that has been laid upon all of us, this is the the yoke of Christ (laughs) that is actually sweet. And it is the loving pattern of God made manifest in the world. And it will look very confusing to most people because, and this is the thing, so if Christ became the redeemer of man, and this is from your book, so this is not my insight, but this is Christ became the redeemer of man so that man, meaning you and me and anyone here listening, can become a redeemer in Christ and with Christ. And because suffering in union with Christ not apart from Christ, but in I, union with Christ. And it might feel in with Christ doesn't mean that you don't feel estranged or alienated or anything like it at some point. That is what makes the Christian enter into solidarity with the rest of man. So there can be a mindset in the church, and this has always been a temptation, which is to be Christ, I have to basically 
provide resources to other people. I need yes. to get financial means to help with the poor and I need to do X, Y, and Z. And yes, Christians are, and I want to say this as clearly as possible, you are called to participate in the structures of the world, to bring the grace of God into those structures of the world. And you are called to eliminate structures that are promoting sin. You are called to do whatever you can to break those down and put those away and to bring something that actually manifests true charity into wherever you're living. But the deeper call is to enter into the suffering of the rest of humanity. And you don't have to look for it. (laughs) It's presented when we're living our life with Christ. And I want to create, I want to say another distinction. It might not necessarily be on the forefront of people's mind. We sometimes we experience suffering because we are not doing the right thing. And that is a different thing than what we're talking about here. So there is in the discernment of spirits and there's excellent discerning hearts has lots of different things talking about the discernment of spirits that would be well worth listening to. Um, There is a time when we experience desolation and that implies that there needs to be a change made. Um, That is a little different. That's different than what we're talking about here. Yes, it is. What we're talking about is that as we're living the spiritual life, we're discerning. There are moments of suffering that we enter into that are not because there's anything going on in our life that is not in conformity with Christ, but instead Christ is saying, I want you to enter into a deeper part of intimacy with me. And that intimacy takes the form of the crucifixion. Yes. And that is really, really, that can be very difficult, but there's a part of your book and this is the love suffering part. And that's what it is. When I say takes the form of the crucifixion, I mean the love suffering that is atonement because you say the person, so the one wronged, (laughs) they take the initiative in the process of forgiveness. And this is what the Christian does, because I'm not saying that like, if you are personally responsible for sin, you need to make you need to make amends for your sin. But there's all of this sin in the world that actually there's forgiveness that needs to be made manifest there. And the Christian keeps their heart open and suffers through the evil that is done to them. And that that suffering is what we mean by love suffering. So this isn't masochism where you love to suffer. Yeah, 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 yes. It is love suffering because the lover is willing. And that's what all Christians are called to be is lovers. That's what St. Francis de Sales calls the hill of Golgotha. He calls it the mountain of lovers. And we're all called to enter into that. And the lover, we willingly suffer for the sake of continuing the love of God in the world so that his love can endure. Yes. And Jesus wants us to be the hands, the feet, the heart, the ears, yes. the mouth of his love entering into others. Yes. And yes. Uh, can I give an example, Margaret, that I was thinking of? So Yes, please. When we're encountering other people who have been marred by sin and they're in, they're in the difficulties of sin, our gaze at them should not be and this is what Pope Francis means when he says, who am I to judge? Just to clarify this, it, we should not be judging this other person for their sin, <laughs> saying, oh, all of this sin is happening in their life. I'm glad I'm not sinning like that. That should hallmark us back to um, a parable that Jesus gives about 
a publican in praying and a publican praying and then a Pharisee praying. Oh, thank you, God, that I'm not committing all of these horrible sins. And then the publican comes in and he says, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, right? That should be our mindset. We come in and we have this. When we see another person that is in the in the context of sin, we sit here and we ask the Holy Spirit, Father, how can I suffer in love, like endure whatever needs to happen here for forgiveness, for transformation, for your love to be made manifest in this person's life? What are you calling me to do in this moment? And yes. that manifests in all for them. ways. Yes. yes, for the other. And so we kind of only think about ourselves in a peripheral sense because we don't totally lose ourselves. But instead, we realize this is what it means to be Christ for another person. So there's a concrete manifestation of that. So when I hear someone gossiping or something like that at work, you know, at the water cooler or something like that, I don't sit here and go, man, they're such a gossip. I don't want to be involved in that. I don't want to be a gossip, so I'm not going to talk to them. But instead, we say, how can I bring the love of God into this situation? And that might mean that you have to endure <laughs> something that is a little bit of a, a state of suffering. That is the paradoxical call of the Christian life. So Therese, her call to take on the atheist, the suffering of the atheist, is because she loves the atheist so much that she wants them to be there. And, and I want to also say that is not an anomaly that Therese says about hell as well, that she would is basically, there's many saints, I actually, most of them are doctors of the church, who say things like, I withhold heaven from me so that this person can receive your grace, God. They'll say something like that. And obviously, they're not like, they're not denying the love of God, but that's how powerful the love of Christ is. And that's what's called to manifest in our own individual life. So, Margaret, you look like you're chopping at the bit. I am. Evan, I want, because I wanted to share this uh, since I woke up this morning. I'm thinking of, uh, again, a shout out to Pope Benedict when he was part of a rod singer. Remember, he, he offers these, these comments on the excommunicate person, on excommunication. Yeah. And Evan, I want to bring this up only to supplement what you said about judgment. Because it is true that even the cross event, all four of my theological guides, GP2, Benedict, Balthasar, and Hoffman, all recognize that the scripture understands the cross event to be a work of divine judgment. But God's mercy and his redemptive purpose works through judgment. So it's not an either or situation. Judgment is involved. So like you said, you're at the water cooler. And yeah, you do discern, you do judge. That is gossiping. And no, I ought not to condone that. I ought not to be complicit in that. So in what at one level, sort of interior, you you do separate yourself from that. You don't want to be drawn into what is ungodly. But you, what you just pointed out is that's not the only move. If at one level you are, if you will, withdrawing yourself in properly judging what is ungodly, at the same time you know that our God is such that he doesn't utterly abandon them. He means that to use your own holiness to then try to restore them to godliness. And then you strategically discern how best to do that 
And as you point out, I'm going to draw near again. God will send his son in you to the gossiper. And it'll it'll entail enduring the gossip somewhat, even as you're constantly trying to convert them to be more like, like God. We'll return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Yeah, and exactly. We're presenting the Father's love in that moment. That's exactly what we're doing. Here's what I love about Benedict's comments on the excommunicate person is that he he so deftly navigates his way through this paradox that excommunication has a place 
in this church, but it's a strategic spiritual move. It's a redemptive, it's redemptive in purpose. And I want to share Benedict's thought because it is so very different from our, our current cancel culture mindset that's even infecting Catholics. That now if someone's a sinner, I'm just going to cancel them. And that's the last word. As if excommunication is meant to be just, that's it, I turn my back and, and never care about the other again. No. So if you don't mind, here's, here's Ratzema. <laughs> no, he's, he's, this is why I love him so, because he's not only, he's not only a straight theologian, he's so spiritually mature. And he's got a pastor's heart. He is a formator par excellence. And here's what he says. Goes, the excommunicate person and our mission of coatoma. He talks about, and reflecting on the purpose of excommunication. Notice it's purposeful. Rotzinger observes that its primary aim is to induce repentance and lead to the restoration of full communion with the Lord's church. The suffering of separation that the excommunicate person endures may be likened to an ecclesiastical state of exile. The spiritual distance suffered by the excommunicate is meant to serve as a condition for the graced recalibration of love of God or love for God in such a way that it contributes to the restoration of communion. Okay, and then Ratzinger moves on and it says, listen, the excommunicate person is in effect like Israel suffering exile in Assyria or like Judah suffering exile in Babylon. God doesn't just totally turn his back. No, she follows them in hidden fashion. He goes incognito and accompanies them into their exile. There to rekindle love for him such that they can bear exile with newfound filial love and hence expiate their sin that will lead to restoration. Well, analogously, Ratzinger will say, you know, when the church has to, with a pained heart, excommunicate someone, the, the judgment of excommunication is rendered. And that person now is suffering a state of ecclesiastical sacramental exile. Ratzinger says, we who remain rooted in Christ, receiving his sacraments, and so being sustained by the love of God, we are called, when we receive communion, it's sacramental communion, offer it for, offer it for the excommunicate persons. Or even Ratzinger will suggest, and this is just a suggestion, he'll say, even on Good Friday, how about we willingly refrain from receiving the Eucharist? Now, this is, and some people won't like this, but this is Ratzinger's just proposing this. Willingly refrain from receiving the Eucharist on Good Friday as a way of participating the, in the Lord's own willingness on the cross. So if you will abstain from feeling the closeness of the Father, just as Therese was asked to abstain from feeling the presence of God, you know, heaven on earth. 
as Christ did on the cross, might we do. Christ fed on the Father to do his will. He fed on the Father. And on the cross, he, he relinquished the felt presence of his Father. So we on Good Friday share in the mystery of this cross and abstain from enjoying the felt sacramental presence of the Son, but do so as a way of being in solidarity with Christ who accompanies those in exile to bring them back again, who bears their sin, expiates their sin by, if you will, sort of sharing in the suffering their sin has caused in order to thereby sort of advance, speed up the the process of the sinners, the excommunicate's own restoration back to full communion with the church. Evan, that's a whole lot. But again, trying to verbally trace out this sort of dance between the church, Christ, the head of the church, members united to him in full communion as his body, and that dance over against those who are excommunicated, was I clear enough in showing what's going on and how we can willingly, we don't just cancel them, but we, with a pained heart, we share in Christ's own thirst from the cross, thirsting for sinners. He yes. thirsts for the excommunicate to be restored to him, that he might return them to the Father's bosom. We as Catholics have to love that much, love like God loves, and do what it takes to atone for the sins that have brought about the excommunication of our brothers and sisters. Yes. I mean, Jesus yeah. desires that all men will be saved. And so when the church issues an excommunication upon somebody, what she is doing in her wisdom is she is enacting in the same way the self-concealment of God so yes. that conversion will take place in the heart of the person who's excommunicated. Because yes. when somebody is excommunicated, it is because of something that they are doing that needs yes. to change. Yes. And so I think that this is helpful because we often in the cancel culture, exactly what you were saying, we start to view excommunication as like a, those guys need to get their comeuppance because they're not doing things the right way. And I want them to be doing things the right way or they're getting a pain on me or they're causing this issue. And instead, excommunication is an act of love suffering on the part of the church. Yes. And there always yes. can be rescinded. And that's something that people also don't grasp because there's this view of like, well, the church, she just punishes people who don't think the way that she thinks. No. That is not true. No. The church loves these Christians, these people, and desires for them to receive the fullness of what Jesus died for them to receive. And so she, with a pained heart, like you said, with the heart of Christ, we should yes. say, with the yes. heart of Christ, issues the excommunication or it's issued automatically by the, by the nature of the act or whatever. And that is basically... A moment of real, it's supposed to be a moment of realization or a time of realization, that period of exile where you say, I think I've gone far. Yes, yes. I, 
I need to be with him. But like we also said, the church is completely near. And so what we're experiencing- In a hidden fashion, we yes. to accompany them. Like God accompanies yes. the Israelites sinners before their conversion. That's right. He accompanies That's right. them into, into exile. Yes. That's exactly right. And so I think something that we can kind of say here, you know, I remember not to get into too many debates or anything like this, but there was a group that was acting in a manner that was going to lead them into excommunication or they already were excommunicated based upon how you want to look at it. And Paul VI was asked about this, I know, privately in one of his letters. And he said that it was the most difficult thing of his entire papacy was what he was dealing with there. And this was after he had issued Humanae Vitae and all of the bishop, a ton of bishops and theologians just did outright rebellion against what he had said completely. And he still said that the hardest thing for him was this group that was leading themselves into a state of excommunication. Why is that? Because Jesus wants us to be united with him so deeply. And the Pope was participating in the heart of Christ in that manner. But what Benedict XVI is suggesting as a liturgical practice on Good Friday, and he is only suggesting it. But I remember when I read it initially, and it wasn't in your book, I read it in the original article where he had released it. And I Behold the pierced one. Yes. In that, in that it's, it's in the, um, uh, the one on communion, right? Where he's yes. talking about mission. And I read that and I was like, wow, wow. That is a very tangible way of manifesting this theology of atonement we're talking about in the liturgy for people. And in a sense, it's already kind of there because we don't have a mass on Good Friday. Right, right. So in a sense, it's already there. But what he's just calling for is for us to make a conscious decision to make an act of our own love suffering for those. And and he gets it. Oh, and can I say this too? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a radical. Go yeah. on. He's so okay. radical <laughs> when it comes to love. Yes. Go yes. Go and it's all over his encyclicals, which oh my God. anyone needs yes. to read any of Benedict XVI's encyclicals. But yes, he's a radical. And, and I want to say this too. This is not a novel idea that he is presenting because he gets this understanding of excommunication and the withholding of communion from Augustine. So that needs to be stated as well. Uh, He's an Augustinian. Yes. But he was pulling this right out of Augustine because Augustine actually did this towards the end of his life. He fasted from the Eucharist. What? And why did he do it? For those who are not united with Christ. That is amazing. And so this shows how we can bear the love suffering of Christ in our lives. And now, okay, now I want to take this another direction because I think that's a beautiful subject that we just talked about. And we, and now we're seeing, and I, to kind of uh, clarify it, we're seeing the different levels that this manifests. Like this theology of atonement even appears in the juridical nature of the church. And that's yes. what we mean when we're talking about the excommunication. Like this is in canon law. Yes, this is it's, the pattern. And it, yeah. once we discern it, we find iterations of it everywhere, or it's yeah. like a fugue, you know, that a musical pattern. Once you discern the pattern, you will recognize God's purposes, his loving strategy everywhere. So, okay, now to manifest this now on the more familial level, because we've been talking on that, the church family level, and then yeah. we're talking about life in Christ, but how can this notion of love suffering, and we talked about the suffering of the Father 
So say it's not just the gossip, but say it's like in your own family. And we gave that example previously of the spouse who's betrayed by their other spouse. Now, thinking in the whole gestalt, the whole light that we've illuminated here, what could we say that would look like as a spiritual act of love suffering rather than just, we gave the example of the wife, which is also the example in the Old Testament from Hosea, and they end up reconciling at the end. But we can see perhaps, and I think that you you would agree with this, that even in, say you have a marriage where you're betrayed and your spouse dies betraying you. <laughs> so say there's no visible reconciliation that we witness here. That even in that instance, the love suffering is fruitful in Christ. How can we say that? You answer that question, young man. How can you say that? You, you say it with conviction. You set up the situation where the, the spouse, in other words, you're saying the spouse has done. So in the concrete terms of this personal history, there's not that opportunity for live temporal reconciliation. Is, is that what you... That's right. That's right. That's the situation you're, you're proposing. And yet you want to affirm it must still be fruitful. Aren't we called to pray for those in purgatory? Okay. If, if your beloved has died without evidence to your mind, and you can't read people's hearts, you know, or for their heart at their moment of death. But from what you know, this, your spouse say, hasn't turned his heart back to you. Is that correct? Yeah. It, it hasn't responded to the love suffering that you have shown, apparently in vain, with death. You have to endure because our mission is still to be to remain on our end lovingly united with those who are in purgatory and our love suffering in this life still bears fruit for can be efficacious for the deepening of love the full realization of conversion of those in purgatory beyond the veil advancing quickening their final communion with God in heaven. We'll continue the conversation with Dr. Turek and Evan Collins in our next episode. You've been listening to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek and your host, Evan Collins. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com, as well as in the free Discerning Hearts app, or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. You can also view this conversation on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. To learn more about the book on which this series is based, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel this worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. 
But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. <laughs>